Hello, this is Drink the Music. A podcast where each week we listen to an album, make a cocktail, and have a chat about it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the music. Well, hello and welcome to volume two of Drink the Music. I'm Brian here as always with Michaela. And Michaela, uh, today we are taking taking a, a little bit of a different step. You know, last week we talked about Joni Mitchell's Blue, uh, which is very much a snapshot of, um, you know, kind of, the, kind of the life and times of Joni Mitchell, right? It's kind of like this photo album of uh, a musical album, right? You're, you're looking through the pictures, you're getting these stories kind of things. And this mm-hmm. week we're, we're taking a little bit of a turn and we're talking about Coldplay, Viva La Vida or Death and All His Friends. Uh, which to me is more of kind of this, I don't know, it's almost like this orchestral composition, kind of like this opera that Coldplay put together after having these smash, smash hits. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, to me, I think this is a definitely a snapshot in a different way of something that was building and a maybe not a culmination, but it felt like the, definitely the beginning of a new era of music is definitely in terms of the time, but also in terms of Coldplay themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm so Mm -hmm. excited to be able uh, to be talking about this because this is one of your favorite albums. It is. That's true. Absolutely. It is one of my favorite albums. Yeah. I've loved this one ever since uh, 2008. So um, what's a, who is Coldplay? Michaela, that's important stuff to know before we get into this album. So uh, in 1996, we have Chris Martin and Johnny Buckland. They meet at a university. Uh, Guy Berryman uh, joins the band kind of shortly after that, and they start releasing music as a group called Big Fat Noises in 1997. Uh, No drummer yet. Uh, Have to wait until 1998. Will Champion joins the band. Uh, They change the name uh, to Starfish and play their first show. And then a couple weeks later, they change the name from Starfish, bad name, to Coldplay, good name. Uh, So just a few weeks uh, there before they change that name. Uh, They put out kind of the self funded, uh, self-produced uh, album called Safety, um, which uh, apparently was good enough, well enough received to get them an invite to play on the uh, new band stage at Glastonbury. Um, if you're not familiar with Glastonbury out there, that is a big, huge uh, rock and roll. Well, not even rock and roll, like all music festival uh, for all of England. Like it is a big deal, big deal it to play is. at Glastonbury. So they're on this uh, new, new band stage in 99. And then in the year 2000, their first album, Parachutes, is released. Yeah. And that's where uh, if you were a human being who had ears and the ability to use them, you probably heard the song Yellow. You probably you definitely heard the song Yellow. That song. You probably heard it 400 million times. It was one of the most played songs of the year 2000. uh, One of the most played songs of all time, for sure, Uh, which uh, which. Kind of gives uh, gives Yellow a bad rap. Yellow is actually a very beautiful song if you go back and listen to it. But at the time, like you could not you could not avoid Coldplay. You could not avoid the song Yellow um, from that song or from that album Parachutes in 2000. Uh, following up to that, they had a rush of blood to the head in 2002, X and Y in 2005. And, uh, you know, uh, pretty good. You're you're a young band. You've been around for five years. And all of a sudden you have 12 Grammy nominations, uh, four wins, including uh, Record of the Year for the song Clocks. Uh, and uh, remember those albums, uh, Parachutes, Double Platinum, Rush of Blood to the Head, four times platinum and X and Y three times platinum. That is a lot of good banding. Uh, good job. Coldplay there in those five years, uh, which, yeah. which gets us to uh, Viva La Vida or death and his friends. So in an article with, uh, or in an interview with dig uh, Chris Martin says that basically kind of at that point, right. X and Y comes out. They've gotten all of these Grammy noms. Uh, Chris Martin says, well, we can't really get, any bigger than we are. So we're going to have to take a step back and see if we can get better. Um, And that's what they did. So I guess we're going to have to take a quick break, mix up this week's cocktail, and we'll be right back to find out um, if they got any better or not. But we'll definitely have a cocktail. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So this cocktail comes from Nourished Kitchen. And uh, if we're going to do a strawberry swing, we really need to do a strawberry smash. And it's incorporating some of the same aspects uh, from the album 
as it does mm-hmm. in this amazing punch that is number one, my favorite color, number two, super delicious. And I'm super excited to share it with the world. Yeah, absolutely. We are excited to share it with the world. Um, and yeah, we're we're taking uh, this cocktail. Obviously, it's coming from the uh, the track album, Strawberry Swing, but it incorporates some other stuff from the album uh, to here and and the composition of this. Um, and it's pretty simple to put together and it's going to make enough for roughly four drinks, three to four drinks, depending on how on how heavy your uh, hand is when it comes to uh, pouring these for sure. So let's whip one of these up here real quick, Michaela. So grab yourself like a like a small little pitcher, a big mason jar, a big uh, measuring cup actually is what I used uh, for mine, like a four cup measuring cup. Um, put in two cups of like sliced and just roughly chopped up strawberries, uh, three tablespoons of honey, a half a teaspoon of coriander, uh, one teaspoon of rose water, or you could use creme de violette, which is what I did, uh, you know, for Violet Hill, of course, the juice from one lime, and two cups of rosé, French, please. A revolution is afoot here uh, in this album, uh, after all. So you're going to put all that into your pitcher. You're going to give the strawberries uh, muddle, you know, kind of bust those up, get that strawberry juice uh, flow in. And then I think what you should do, it didn't say this in the 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 recipe here on the website, but I think you should probably mix this up and let it set, like put it in the fridge and let it just hang out for an hour or two. It's going to get all that juice out of the strawberries, get it nice and incorporated and uh, chilled down, good to go. Uh, and then you're going to serve it up and grab some glasses, grab some ice, uh, you know, slice up a little strawberry, pour it out and converse uh, about existentialism and, uh, you know, monarchies and things like that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's the best way to do that is with is with alcohol for sure. Um, so I actually didn't have cream to any cream to violet, so I used rose water. And I have to say, um, this is beautiful. Um, so some of the garnish that they say is you can get, you know, uh, some edible rose uh, petals if you want and kind of strew them in there or lay them on top of the drink and make it extra pretty. Um, this was absolutely the most, I mean, It's just a beautiful drink. It's um, whether you strain out the strawberry bits or not, every, I made this as a real punch and I served it to a bunch of people to get their takes on it. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, it is the right level of sweetness. If you use uh, roughly three tablespoons of honey, Um, some people thought that would be too much. And then we tasted it and it really offsets with the coriander. So it was really kind of a nice balance to it. So it wasn't too sweet um, and it wasn't too I don't know, syrupy. I was worried that it might be a little too syrupy with the honey, but it was fine. Um, there's mm-hmm. rose water is super aromatic. So uh, pay attention to that. It's a teaspoon. It's not a tablespoon. Now I have no idea how this was with creamed violet. So I'd love your thoughts on that, Brian, because mm-hmm. I know we weren't able to drink this together, but the rose water really pushes through. Um, and it's the right amount. I would not put any more than that, no matter how much you love rose. I love rose. Right the flavor yep. and the the essence of rose, but it, it was almost overpowering. You really want to make sure that you offset it with the coriander. If you forget the coriander, then you're just going to be drinking rose perfume. And that's not, <laughs> it's going to be, that's not gonna be very rosy. Yeah, it's going to yeah, be very yeah. rosy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. The creme de violet was, uh, was really nice and kind of, I took the inspiration obviously from the, from the title of this, but I was thinking of, you know, ways I could incorporate something fun. Um, so you could do uh, the creme de violet, you could do um, some St. Germain, you could use any of those kind of, um, you know, m- more floral uh, liqueurs. Um, and I thought that this was really good. It gave it kind of a little bit of umptiousness in the mouth. Um, oftentimes, if you see like a sangria recipe, uh, you're going to see um you know something like uh, triple sec in that or uh something along those lines because it gives it just a little bit more uh mouthfeel and that's i think what the creme de violet did um in ours but this was this was light and delicate and delicious it was a really good way to jazz up a cheap bottle of rosé um if you've got a if you've got a, an expensive bottle of rosé uh, hanging out you don't really feel like drinking it uh you know add some uh, strawberries and honey uh coriander uh to it mash it up and you'll be good to go and i thought that this was this was perfect it was awesome i was sitting out on the porch listening uh to this uh Coldplay album and you know kind of sipping on this and you know pondering the songs and stuff like that I thought that this was an excellent uh cocktail and you know perfect for this time of year and uh just just a really really good one yeah yeah absolutely and I think uh we're gonna talk about kind of the symbolism because I think you're absolutely right this paired really beautifully with the album in a bunch of different ways uh which I can't wait to get into when we do our deep dive um so yeah so I guess 
should we take a break or are we di- are we diving right in? Do we cuz we're not really doing a spoiler warning for these, right? <laughs> I'm just uh, no, so excited. No, no. No spoiler warning. You are excited. That's all right. Uh, no, we got to take a, another break real quick because we're going to go mix up uh, one of these cocktails real quick. And then we're going to be back to chat about this week's album, Coldplay, Viva La Vida or Death and All His Friends. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So for volume two, uh, we decided to cover uh, one of your favorite albums, Brian, of all time, which is super exciting because we covered mm-hmm. one of mine. And uh, for anybody who's listening to this and is wondering how this, how we pick these, we actually put them all to a vote. You have to get on our Patreon site to do that. Uh, so please think about that. It's a really cheap way to uh, help support the podcast. And you get to be in charge of the Drink the Movies, Drink the Music destiny of what we're going to talk that's about. Right. And that's yeah, really right. exciting. So uh, I was really excited to see that this was the choice that all mm-hmm. of our patrons uh, chose. And so, yeah, let's let's dive into it. That's right. Yeah, you can be in charge of our musical fates uh, for sure. But yeah, we're talking about Coldplay's uh, 2008 album, Viva La Vida or Death and All His Friends. Um, it is one of my uh, favorite albums Um uh, of all time. It's an album that I really like, um, and I really like kind of the composition of it. I love, you know, the messaging of it, and I love the way that it's uh, structured. So let's get into this. Um, we're going to be kind of running through these tracks here. Nothing, nothing too crazy about each of these. You know, certainly there's uh, resources if you want to go into like super deep dives on on how these albums were made and and all that stuff. But let's get into the album a little bit here, Michaela. So this one kicks off with track number one, "Life in Technicolor," uh, which is pretty easy to uh, talk about because it's an instrumental piece. Um, but I really love it's kind of bringing in, um, you know, all the almost kind of these like world sounds uh to Coldplay right you think of Coldplay and you think of you think of those hits and you think of you know filling these big stadiums and uh playing something like like clocks or you know the scientist but this one's taking a more worldly spin it's got uh, some dulcimer going there it's got some sitar going there and it's this perfect little like kind of intro um when I listen to Viva La Vida or Death and All His Friends, I think of like going into like a theater or like an opera house taking a seat and just having this performed yeah. Yeah, for sure. This is one of my favorite songs of the album is actually this first one. Um, and I, I, it makes sense that it was never a single that was sent out, um, you know, to the radios because it's very short. It's only about two and a half minutes long. Um, but I totally agree with you. I think that this is one of the most beautiful introductions to an album that I've ever heard. And that's saying something, uh, for me, um, you're sitting there and I had never listened to the album in its, uh, in the correct order until we Mm -hmm. sat down to listen to this. So very fresh ears go easy on me, but I will say I was completely blown away by this opening song because as you're, you're absolutely right. It's like this beginning of you know that you're on the precipice of something amazing that you're about to experience. And there are these, um, kind of echoes of music that is like ca- cacophonic where you you don't know at the very beginning, you don't know exactly what you're hearing. And then the kind of melodical aspects of the, of, of the song come into play. And then it just kind of rushes over you. And it's really amazing. I have to say I was sitting in uh, my favorite chair and I almost got kind of teary listening to this opening Mm -hmm. uh, song because it's so beautifully done and the attention to detail um uh, whoever kind of did the sound engineering of of creating the layers of of music is it was a genius in this and it really sets you up for going on a journey and this whole album to me was about 
uh, changing directions and going deeper and just becoming more of uh, your destined self. I don't know if Coldplay feels that 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 that's them. Uh, that this is what they this is what their intent was. But for me, it definitely felt like that. And this song sets it up so beautifully. Yeah, absolutely. So you have that, which is kind of this uh, symphonic score, you know, being, um, you know, being just an instrumental piece, and it gets it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you know the end of the song, and it drops out, and we go into track number two, "Cemeteries of London," uh, which opens up very kind of dark and um, you know bleak, as just Chris Martin kind of kind of singing um, there. But kind of after this first verse, it opens up and into like this uh, very fun kind of driving. Um, like a acoustic guitar section uh, with kind of this this clapping going on, and I really like this song. Um, it's not one of my favorites on the on the CD, but I I do really love the um, the guitar part here, and I like kind of the message of this. Um, if you read anything about Viva La Vida or Death and All His Friends, um, when they when they wrote it, you know, Coldplay was saying it was trying to be some you know more of a like a, a political uh, statement piece, um, which I kind of agree with, and we'll kind of talk through that as we go through. Uh, this but i think that a song like this is really kind of about facing um your own past as much as like facing the past of you know here in this case you know london um being is that where you know the band is from you know speaking of the the ghosts of the past and uh things that speaks of like um you know like cemeteries in the oceans which i'm i'm guessing was tied to like the the naval might of uh you know england um at some point um and you know it kind of ends with this uh statement of i i see god come in my garden but i don't know what he said uh for my heart wasn't open um and i really like that it's it's about kind of confronting confronting your past and that is a theme that really kind of opens up for me throughout this album yeah for sure um there's a lot of themes of like life death and war <laughs> and this this was the very first kind of war hymn uh of of the tracks that i really identified with and i listened to this one a couple times because i didn't quite understand it at first um but I, I really love that the the guitar riff because it feels like very traveling esque um, and very old, old worldly. Um, so when I think of, kind of London of the, the in the eighteen hundreds or uh, and this is very you know when you see Coldplay when they performed these uh, songs they were in like these French revolutionary kind of garb. Um, so it, it kind of brings back that mindset in that time of what are you doing and why are you doing what you're doing and it all comes from uh you know your past and things that happen to you that affect you going forward yeah exactly um exactly right and that kind of sets us up into um kind of track three then uh which is lost with an exclamation point there's apparently various versions of lost on uh, other albums and things kind of depending on on how it's played but this is lost exclamation point um and i like this song a lot it's kind of this uh, this slower kind of like pop melodic song almost but i really like um the song itself is kind of juxtaposed so you're getting a lot of the the music is being played on like like this church um like organ um like this cathedral organ um so obviously you know that's in that sense is kind of tied to like these uh you know religious songs and services which are all about you know being found and finding yourself but the lyrics here of lost is you know kind of the opposite of that it's it's more soul searching right so you have um you have kind of this this church bit that's uh you know, that's implying that you've uh, found what you're looking for, but the the lyrics are definitely going kind of in the opposite direction. Um, and it reminds me a lot of uh, the U2 song, uh, I Still Haven't Found uh, What I'm Looking For, um, which I think Brian Eno actually produced as well, produced this album and has done a lot of producing with U2. But um, the song Lost was a good one. It was one of the uh, singles off of the album and uh, really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like uh, some of the lyrics in here where uh, being lost is thought of as such a bad thing in life right losing is given such a negative connotation um and this i like how it begins with just because i'm losing doesn't mean i'm lost um but at the end of it he's kind of you know uh if you're feeling lost you're kind of waiting till the firing stops and i'm just waiting until the shine wears off um which is almost kind of for me when I was listening to this, it was very much like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if if you're thinking that uh, you're going to lose someone or you're going to lose at something, um, you're almost you know protecting your heart. So you're just, just waiting until the inevitable happens. I don't know. It was it was really interesting, um, and I like the. Gosh, I hope I know. I'm I hope I'm saying it right. Kind of the chord changes of this were mm -hmm. very 
interesting to me. Uh, and I'm, I would try and sing it, but I would screw it up. So I'm not going to, I'm going to save everyone's ears, but the chords that just kind of where it would go da, 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 and then it would change uh, to right. a much mm-hmm. different kind of register. Maybe is that the right way to say it? I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it takes kind of a tonal shift there once the uh, the organ kind of drops out and it goes into that uh, guitar solo uh, bit there. Um, and you bring up a good point um, of kind of the self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, you know, speaking generally kind of about the album, and I'm going to hit on this a couple more times. Um, basically, if you would go back and read anything from Coldplay around 2008 when this album came out, um, they'd said that they'd written it as almost kind of this this like political statement piece almost. And certainly there are aspects of that throughout um, throughout the album. Uh but to me, it it almost is more of this self-fulfilling prophecy and really looking at, um, you know, like I mentioned with that Chris Martin quote, you know, the band was as huge as a band could ever possibly be, right? So you're really kind of looking at that, I think, um, maybe even subconsciously to the band at this at this point. And, you know, what does what does that mean? And where do you go from here? Right? Uh, you know, <laughs> are there are there other roads uh, you can travel? Do you keep, you know, just traveling down the same path? And I think that that is really interesting. And that kind of bleeds into then uh, track number four, which is 42. Um, it takes its uh, name uh, and kind of theme from Douglas Adams, a Trekker's Guide uh, to the Galaxy as being kind of the meaning of everything. Um, this song here, 42 it's about life and death and you know kind of searching for the meaning of it which is a big kind of recurring uh theme for it. it's a recurring theme for life and definitely a recurring theme for the album so i like how a kind of the theme of this album is encapsulated in the song that's you know titled after you know uh something that's uh, allegedly the the meaning of everything um and i like that a lot and uh you know kind of some of the lines here you know time is so short i'm sure there must be something more of this and it's a lot of you know introspective uh, looking like I said, I take a lot of uh, kind of cues here as saying, you know, you've done you've done it all. You've climbed Mount Everest in terms of of being a band. So you know, there must there must be something more, right? Do we keep writing these arena hits, or we do we look, um, you know, elsewhere to try to be creative and things? And I, uh, forty two is one of the another one of the singles from this album. There were a bunch, um, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a really great song. It's probably um, my second favorite song of the uh, side oh, yeah? A here. Nice. Yeah, I think this song, um, I remember hearing it at a, mem- at a memorial service, which is uh, interesting, um, just because I think some of the lyrics are really around, you know, you didn't get to heaven, but you made it close. Um, you know, the kind of references to being a ghost and if you're dead, are you really dead and you live on? And and I think some of that has been, has, has kind of worn uh, on the ears of the listeners to turn this into uh, you know, almost a kind of a parting song, uh, in, for some, for some people. Um, but the, for the, when I listened to it in the context of this album, um, I much, I, I didn't get that real feeling. So it, it was kind of a, a weird changeling song for me because I totally thought that it was going to be more of a kind of a memorial to a person who had passed. Um, cause that's how I listened to it the first couple of times I I heard it in context and then within the album itself I think you're right that it's very much a um you know what what do we do when we when we die and death is kind of the pinnacle of life which is weird uh to think about um because it's really only half what if it's only half of the mountain right this this idea that now they're at the top uh they're as popular as they're ever going to be they've gotten all these accolades now what happens and um and 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 the fact that they're not in heaven, maybe they weren't, you know, super happy. Not necessarily happy, maybe not the right word, but like, what does that mm-hmm. actually mean when you've reached the top of the mountain? Uh, what do you, where do you go from there? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, the band talks a lot about kind of inspirations for just their songs in general, and um, how you know, anytime they hear a song that they fall in love with, they you know, um, they kind of go to this mindset where they just get upset that they haven't been better. Um, at being a band and more creative. And I think that that is, is really interesting to to think about when you listen to something um, like Viva La Vida or Death and All His Friends. Um, and we get into then uh, kind of kind of this very almost like like hopeful uh, love song. Uh, Chris Martin is very good at writing uh, love songs. Uh, see kind of those first uh, you know three albums uh, there going into this. But uh, it is track number five, Lovers in Japan, Reign of Love. Uh, it is a two for one, apparently, because they wanted to have both of these songs on the album, but they didn't want to have 11 tracks 
They wanted to have 10 tracks, so they put these uh, two together, so you get uh, uh, two songs here. Uh, Lovers in Japan might be my favorite song um, on the album. I think that is absolutely um, beautiful. I think that it is, um, you know, it, it's kind of like examining, like, um, you know, just because um, if you're doing something or kind of this course that you're on doesn't mean that it's doesn't mean that it's good it doesn't mean uh that it's bad it just kind of means that that's what it is but it has kind of like this like this ambient like synth sound that kind of kind of goes over and it bleeds through like all the way to the end like it starts at the beginning of the song and just runs runs its course straight through to when you get into the rain of love uh part of the part of track five um i guess but it really has this this chord progression that is really uplifting um at the end you know think of think of watching your favorite like um you feel good uh movie or uh feel good uh soundtrack or something like that and it, it just these chords come in kind of right at the end and it just like lifts the spirits and tells you that maybe everything is going to be okay and then it uh goes into uh reign of love yeah no i have to say um we got to talk about this because this is not the first band to kind of do a two songs in one where they completely change kind of tones this song didn't completely change what it was when you go into reign of love but they're mm -hmm. definitely two separate songs. And yes. I also read this, read up on this because I was like, what what am I listening to? I thought that we had actually changed songs. And then I was I was confused uh when listening to this album for the first time all the way through. And why uh I I don't quite understand why they're not two separate songs, other than the fact that they kind of bleed into each other. Um mm -hmm. I don't, I I don't pretend to understand the the meaningfulness behind that i think it's really interesting um because <laughs> you're definitely because they don't want to have 11 you want a nice even number uh 10 10 tracks yeah, but your, they did that on your they album did, they do that a second time so they would have had 12 tracks <laughs> instead of 10 and i guess like they wanted a concise 10 tracks and that i get but at the same time they still put the two times in there so now you got one like six and a half minute song or whatever I mean, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I'm not complaining. I just don't quite understand it. Um, and if someone, hey, listen, if someone's listening and they have an idea of why they did that, that we haven't come up with on Drink the Music, great. I'm all ears because I really found that uh, profoundly interesting because they do it not only once, but they do it twice on this album. And um, I love this song, though. I do. I'm a super romantic and I, I love the idea. I feel like this song was written by at the beginning. It feels like two lovers are out on a run together mm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and the okay, morning yeah. is right. And the, the, the light is shining and they're like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to us. It might be bad. It might be good. Um, maybe it's going to be okay. Um, and, and then kind of at the end of the, of the relationship, if, if you make it to death with, with one person after being with them for a long time, kind of, I love the idea of the reign of love by the church we're, we're raiding, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. reign of love by the church we're waiting. And so like at the end of your life, if, you know, someone is waiting there for you at the end of it all, isn't that really kind of what it's all about? And being just kind of this prisoner in this reign of love where you're not really, uh, prisoner is an interesting word because people are like, I'm imprisoned by your love and it's so passionate. But sometimes in a relationship, you're in a space where you don't necessarily want to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. that's really an aspect of long longevity and love um, that people maybe don't talk about because it's not super frilly and romantic, but it's like you've made a choice and you're here and you're just going to, you're just going to live through that. And that's also a testament to the love itself. It's really kind of interesting that way. Yeah. Now, see, I actually interpret uh, Reign of Love uh, differently um, when he's saying that, uh, you know, I'm just a prisoner in a reign of love um, is is almost um, it's almost like more of a love struckness um, as opposed to an actual love, because then you get um, to the lines how I wish I'd spoken up away and get carried on a reign of love, because that really ties into the second half of the album where it talks a lot about um, telling the people that you love that you love them or, you know, these, you know, the interests of of love you know make sure you speak up so i think that that's how i interpret it it's not it's not so much that you're trapped um in this relationship you're trapped not being able to act on this relationship um and that's that's where uh this second half uh, ends i'm gonna let you let you chew on that for a minute maybe we'll uh rediscuss when we get to uh side two and start talking about a little bit of those themes but for now if you are listening to the vinyl this is where you stop this is where you pick up the needle and this is where you flip it over and take a wee bit of an album break. So, uh, Michaela, let's talk about uh, Coldplay's uh, 2008 Viva La Vida or Death and All His Friends. This uh, 
Coldplay had already been nominated. What did I say? 12 Grammys. This one got nominated for seven Grammys. This is uh, absurd. I guess if your your job is getting nominated for Grammys, then Coldplay is real good at their job. They won three. Uh, it did not win Album of the Year. It was nominated for that, but it did win Song of the Year for Viva La Vida. It won Best Rock Album and Best Pop Performance by a duo or duo or group um also this album has been certified uh here in the u.s as double platinum so michaela uh we mentioned yellow in the top um you know and all those songs for uh russia blood to his head you know the the scientist and uh clocks and um all those things but uh what was your history i guess like with coldplay was it a band that you that you liked or when i suggested this were you like man i don't want to listen to to coldplay they got that uh bunch of bunch of weird songs now lately i'm I'm not into this this isn't going to be any good uh what are what do you what do you think about uh coldplay um so i was one of the one of the few probably well maybe one of the few who um really liked the song yellow when it first came out and then i got real annoyed when it was on every radio station now to be fair I was in college in the year 2000, 2001, when this exploded mm-hmm, onto mm-hmm. the radio. And yes. I I was in a very small town. They only had like three radio stations, I think. And so they didn't have a lot of options. Um, I mean, they did have a lot of options, but they wanted to play things that were like trendy and cool and that the kids would like. So um, I was so glad uh, when there were other options <laughs> to listen to that were Coldplay. And I really loved... Um, I remember hearing uh, Yellow for the very first time, and it was in the fall um, of of 2000. And I the the seasons had just changed, and it was really beautiful um, because I felt like the the fall and the leaves falling, and the wind was going. And it, where I lived in Texas, the birds <laughs> if you if you know what i'm talking about the birds just kind of show up overnight and there's like mm-hmm. 15 million crows just sitting everywhere and you think you're in a hitchcock movie um but that happens and i will never forget that feeling where with the the kind of the the bass or the kind of the bum 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 sounds uh, that's the backdrop of that song and i was like wow this is a really cool band and then of course it was ruined because then i heard it 17 million times so i have to say um that when like clocks came out i was like oh this is neat it's something different and then when viva la vida came out and all the the tracks were kind of pushed out through the radio in that way I was like, this is amazing because first of all, he has a lower register. He's not uh, as falsetto-y, which is good or bad. Some people like it, some people don't, but I thought that was a really brave choice um, because singing is so personal. And as you get older, you want to be able to continue to do that. And it's very hard to hit those high notes as you get older. So I was like, well, that's a brave choice. Um, That's right. But I, I... Loved watching them in concert. Um, they did a a show that was televised, and I've never seen them live, but I saw the televised live version, and I was like, "This is a band that really has it has their stuff figured out. They knew exactly mm-hmm. how to play off each other really beautifully, and also be true to the recordings that you hear, um, which is, I think, a real challenge if you're going to do some of these really interesting sounds and you know." Um, layering of music to be able to recreate that in a live setting that's not produced is really special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and as I mentioned at the top, this is one of my um, kind of favorite albums of all time. And I wasn't super familiar with Coldplay, um, you know, kind of going into the time when I uh, got this album, you know, I knew, you know, I knew the hits, right? I knew Yellow, I knew Clocks, I, I knew In My Place, you know, kind of kind of those big, like, like mega hits. But this was the first Coldplay album that I ever really got. And um listened to and invested in, you know, in any sort of sense of like time and stuff like that. And I remember like back in 2008, um, the album had just come out and, you know, it was, it was rated really highly, like in Rolling Stone, I was getting Rolling Stone magazine at the time. Um, and I was traveling for work and I kept hearing the song Viva La Vida. Um, you heard the song all the time. Uh, it was played probably almost as much as Yellow maybe, but we had more uh, music options, I guess, at that point. So maybe it didn't seem like it was uh, played quite as much, but I'm like, man, I really like the song. I really like the way that it sounds. I really like that it's got like these violins in it. Like it is like, like insane sounding, like it was just this big, huge scope of a song. And that kind of 
kind of led me to uh, swing by after after work one day as I'm I'm traveling to pick up the CD of this and listen to it, you know, in my my rental car, you know, on my way like in and out of work every day. And um, I quickly fell in love love with it. Um, you know, myself personally, I'm not a big uh, like singles uh, listener. Like I don't listen to songs, you know, kind of kind of haphazardly. I don't make a lot of like like playlists and stuff like that. It's like I will put on um, an album and listen to it, you know, start to finish. And if I have time to listen to four songs, I'll start the album at the beginning and listen to the first four songs. And uh, that's how I that's how I consume music. So uh, listening to this and kind of this big like audible soundscape that Coldplay uh, put together uh, was really gorgeous and something I wasn't super familiar with at the time. Um, you know, certainly there are al other albums. And um, as we go through uh, Drink the Music, as we uh, go through more of my favorite albums, um, you'll see kind of a recurring theme is uh, they're kind of these big um, kind of sweeping compositions almost. So um, I really loved that about it. And uh, yeah, I've just been a big fan um, ever since. Um, you know, I've since went back and, uh, you know, A Rush of Blood to the Head is a phenomenal album. Like there are just 11, like, masterpiece songs on that one it's one of the highest you know one of the top 500 uh, albums there in the the rolling stone list and stuff um and i love that one a lot but i i don't love it as much as this um in terms of sitting down and listening to an album um i also have never seen coldplay live uh, i did watch a live uh, show i think it was from like maybe like like Rio or something uh, right at the beginning of pandemic bands were uh, being pretty awesome and putting out a bunch of like their live um, recordings and stuff like on their YouTube channels and stuff like that. You could stream them and things like that. And Coldplay was one uh, that my wife and I watched because I've always um, just been very fascinated and kind of the, the larger than lifeness um, of Coldplay um, and definitely kind of a bucket list band for me. So I have to wait till they uh, hit up the East coast uh, maybe on their next time around. I'm definitely going to, going to get out and see them uh, for sure next time they're anywhere sort of close to to this area maybe maybe even not I almost flew out west to see them this year so uh, that is uh, kind of my history um, in terms of Coldplay and how I got into this album so um, you know now that you know now that we've uh, we've checked in seven Grammys that's a lot for one album that is, like. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot. That is a lot. That is a lot. Um, let's get on to side number two. So we are starting uh, with track number six, uh, which is Yes. Um, and uh, you mentioned it kind of in that our little like uh, recap of that. Uh, you know, Chris Martin uh, definitely drops his voice down um, in this one. He's singing in this very low register, which sounds uh, very different. And, you know, kind of the kind of the theme of this. I'm just so tired of this loneliness. A lot of this uh, album here for me is a lot about love, love loss and love not pursued. And I think that that, that is that is this, um, you know, it's it's kind of carrying off of that theme from Reign of Love, Michaela. I was just talking about it. Um, yeah. Regret, regretful love. Um, um, and, you know, yes, is kind of uh, kind of, you know, countering that and, you know, responding to it almost. It's like a hypothetical argument, um, I think, that, that says, you know, in this song of, yes, you know, if I would have asked, then maybe I wouldn't be so lonely. Um, also, uh, the strings in this one are are really beautiful. It does kind of this downward slide, um, you know, when he's saying, you know, if, if I'd only, or if, you know, you say yes, and kind of these strings slide down and it's, it's almost like, um, it's almost like very like sad sounding uh, to yeah. that, the way the strings are composed and uh, it's, it's beautiful. This is a, one of my favorites from the album. Yeah. This, this song was definitely uh super like morose. Like I felt uh, especially at the beginning when he's talking about um, his back being on the ropes and like he thought that, you know, you feel so just, brought in to this space of lonely darkness and the fact that he's singing about love is it just makes it even worse <laughs> really because he's like I'm trying my best I'm I'm really tired of being this lonely um and then it it, it kind of makes you think about decisions that you've made in your own life I think that's that's what really makes a great song right is it it's meaningful to whoever created it for one reason but then your ears hear it and you interpret it and turn it into a story um that you know touches your soul right and so what is what is it that he is it that he didn't say the right thing or is is it um that he didn't ever ask or if 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 she i don't know like this idea that um this 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 bothersomeness is keeping him from being happy and it's not even like 
I don't know. It, it kind of makes you wonder, like, if she had said yes, would he be upset about something else now? I don't know. But right. um, but this the, what I really loved. And it goes back to what we were talking about in the two for one, because this is another kind of two for one, two for one song, right? Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. It, it it becomes this kind of Chinese chant, sleep chant thing at the end. And the idea that when you're really upset or obsessed about something, um, if you sleep, you know, maybe that will take the edge off somehow. That's how I interpreted it, where if it's like, man, I'm really lonely and I'm really sad, but I'm just going to try and sleep and I'll... And it says the the words are sleeping, you'll be satisfied. I don't know if that's really true. Um, mm-hmm. Unless when you're sleeping, you're dreaming about this person and this idea that could have all changed if you had, you know, said what you wanted to say. Um, and you were either, you know, not brave enough or you were, uh, I, I, I don't know the reasons why, but like if you just let it, let, let it be done, then at least then you would know and you could be unhappy because- she right. heard what she said and said no, or she said yes. And, you know, you, we don't know. I don't know. I just really thought that that was interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, um, you know, the the lyrics there, you know, if you would have said yes. And if you would have said that, you know, as, as anybody's guess, because um, and that's what you're ultimately left awake. Uh, laying awake at night uh, thinking right as as you don't have an answer because you never ask uh, the question um, and I think that that is it's beautiful it's it's very tragic um, in in a sense and that goes into uh, track number seven Viva La Vida the hit single um, it was the song of the year it's uh, very symphonic obviously everyone out there has heard of this song um, it's got you know this uh, timpani it's got strings it is very orchestral um, it's a really like, it's really weird to think about that this was a hit single. Like, like it doesn't, you know, sound like a song that would be a hit single uh, just from kind of the, the composition of it. Um, but it, it was a huge, huge song and it is great. Um, it retells, you know, kind of the story of this, uh, of the French Revolution, almost, you know, from a kind of King Louis perspective uh, there of, you know, kind of kind of the regrets of the, the actions that he'd taken and, you know, kind of this uh, political uh, climate of, of the time, you know, in the French revolution. And, uh, that's kind of what they Coldplay had said in 2008, you know, it was meant to be a kind of a reflection of like the political, like landscape of the time, like during, you know, kind of the war on, on terror and stuff. And eh, I, I kind of, I kind of see that. And maybe that was where they, uh, were at like, like mentally, but I think, um, kind of deeper in there, I really see Viva La Vida as kind of a self-examination of the band, um, because it's talking about this king who is all-powerful and and ruled the world. And if you think about it, in 2008, Coldplay was all-powerful and ruled the world. Um, you know, and you know, King Louis didn't uh, change his ways, and and the revolution happened. Uh, so really, you know, it, it's kind of looking at that and saying, you know, we got all these Grammy nominations, we've had all of these, you know, massive. Uh, hit singles, but you know, maybe if we don't change our ways, you know, well, we're no longer going to rule the world, we're going to get overthrown. Um, and I think that this was kind of a self examination, um, in that sense, more so than a political uh, statement, which is kind of the kind of the story you got back in 2008, anyways. Sure, yeah, I think, um, it what's interesting to me is the idea of ruling the world because you have these rulers of the you know, top the the top 100 and the pop charts and things like that. Um, and someone is always number one. Um, and then they're not. Uh, it, it inevitably happens, right? I mean, there are songs that have been number one for like 57 weeks in a row or some craziness, but then it, somebody else gets moved into their place. And so the idea of you being on top and hearing all of these amazing things and all these, so he's hearing Jerusalem bells, um, he's hearing Roman Calvary choirs. I always thought that was Roman Catholic cows. So I, that's what I thought for the longest time, uh, which is kind of funny that I was wrong. But I think that he, looking in the mirror when they say, well, now that I'm king, what 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 am I saying? And some of um, the lyrics say, you know, never an honest word, but that was when I ruled the world. So what did their music really mean now that they had the masses attention? What were mm-hmm. they saying? And, um, you know, were they writing songs that were deeply personal? Were they writing songs that were these political kind of commentary? Were they writing songs about beliefs? And um, all all of that, I think, kind of gets wrapped up into this Viva La Vida song as well. Like mm-hmm. when we rule, what what happens? And then the the guilt that you might feel 
Um, you know, there's the lyric, I know for some reason I can't explain, I know St. Peter won't call my name. Why would the, why would they not do that? Now it's easy to say, well, this is a parody on King Louis and, but for them as a, as a, as a band and for this as a songwriter, like what did that actually mean? Um, what, what regrets do you have? Um, and if their biggest regret is that they weren't creative enough, that they weren't deep enough um, that th this was kind of their way of being able to come to terms with that and then mm -hmm. make it go a different way and, and transform. Yeah. To try yeah, to transform themselves. Absolutely. Because, um, you know, everyone, you know, at least who starts a band, you know, has these, these aspirations that one day they're going to hit it big. They're going to have a number one, number one song, but you know, at the start of that, you're doing it because, because you love it. You love making the music, you love writing the songs. Um, and then at some point, you know, potentially if you're a band as big as Coldplay that, you know, you lose that bit of it, right? You know, your job now is to make yourselves and uh, the record executives and your producer and your manager uh, billions of dollars because you have created these, these giant, giant songs. So then that's kind of the expectation going forward. So then you have to kind of take a step back. And um, I think that it's really kind of beautiful self-examination that I don't even know if maybe the members of the band understood that that's what was happening um, at the time. If you read anything kind of, you know, in their statements around there, it, doesn't sound like that or maybe you know they didn't want to be vulnerable enough to admit it at the time um i think maybe you get a different uh, outlook on it now um if you speak to them so that was viva la vida track seven and it goes into uh, track number eight violet hill um so in an album that's meant to examine kind of this uh, political spectrum and uh kind of kind of their own personal spectrum i think that this was probably the most politically charged um of the time um you know it kind of it starts out with this uh piano chris martin's there playing the piano and it goes into this kind of like fuzz out uh guitar rift um and it goes on to say uh very pointedly uh, it was a long and dark december when the banks became cathedrals and a fox became a god um that fox is the the one on uh, television um priests clutched onto bibles uh hollowed out to fit the rifles and a cross was held aloft so i think this is the most kind of political politically charged song of this it was meant to be kind of this political anthem but even um, this song, the band couldn't get away from bringing it into this really kind of personal, emotional, um, you know, almost like almost like lovesickness bit as it ends. And it says, I took my love down to Violet Hill. There we sat in the snow all the time. She was silent still. So if you love me, won't you let me know? Like it's it's deeply personal. And I love that line. It's my favorite line um, from the whole album. But it's it's almost like we attempted to write this politically charged song, which they do. But it, it's so beautiful um, in the composition and how ultimately it just kind of ties back in uh, to this longing uh, for love and and something more. Yeah, I don't know. This song was really it really struck me because you know not wanting to be a soldier, right? He goes on to say, "I don't want to be a soldier who the captain of some sinking ship would stow far below," and when we're you know, if we're going to talk politicalness, I mean, a lot is different in that from now than it was in 2008. Um, but if you love someone, um, why, you know, would you tell them, would you show them and how would you show them? Um, would you show them by being silent? Right. And I, you know, there's a lot of things to be said for being like, well, I, I love you, but I'm not going to stand up for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's a lot to be said in that sense, that sense, right? Where, um, you know, when you're thinking of, I took my love down to Violet Hill and uh, she was silent. Like, was she silent because she wasn't shocked? Was she silent because she wouldn't stand up for you? And now you're going to be a stowaway on some sinking ship. Like, I, I don't know. I thought that that it could have gone that route. It didn't feel like it. When you look at the lyrics, it's very different than how it feels when you hear it. Um, but just looking down I kind of in my head I pictured this really awful like uh, war scene that these two people were looking at and um, they don't know how they're going to make it through this mess and mm -hmm. how you know they're they're seeing this horrible scene lay down before them and what's kind of led to that and um, being a so you know him thinking he's going to be a soldier and he's she's going to be here alone and how they're overcome with emotion around that um, is really hard. It's, it's a really, it's one of my favorite songs of the album because, and I, I didn't expect it to be when it first started. Um, mm -hmm. And I heard the song for the first time, 
but uh, really deep. I mean, I could, it's one of, this is probably the song that I could listen to over and over again and get something else out of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So that is uh, track number eight. And then we go into track number nine, Strawberry Swing. Uh, the skies could be blue, but without you, it's a waste of time. Um, I think uh, the song is lovely. Um, I really like the messaging of it, um, right? Uh, you know, the, the whole world could be happy, but if you're not with the person uh, that you want to be with, uh, then, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how happy it is. Uh, that is all just a waste of time. Um, I love how kind of idyllic it is. Um, I really love you know kind of the the composition of the song and i think that it's a nice little bit of um you know almost almost like a brighter uh look at love because this album is pretty pretty dark um throughout and kind of its tones and tales of of love and obviously kind of the the political uh messaging uh through it but this one is a little bit more hopefully um you know it says you know i wouldn't i wouldn't want to change a thing i love this song because of the lyrics um and the idea that he doesn't care about anything if if he's alone or without his person i this i mean it you said it best i don't think i'm going to be able to top anything that you're saying about this one i liked it it was very sweet and it's got a really good cocktail i think we've made a really good cocktail that okay. um pairs with it so yeah absolutely so track nine strawberry swing and we get to the final track of the album um which has a, a little bit of a bonus track there's like 12 and a half tracks on this uh 10 track uh album here but uh number 10 death and all his friends uh it's i guess the second uh title track and uh basically death and all his friends to me is basically the purpose of uh this entire album it's looking at life it's looking at death it's looking at legacy um and uh missed missed loves or you know missed uh, yeah, miss miss love and miss connection uh, with people. Um, and you know, I, the song kind of reminds me of that uh line from um that George R. R. Martin work, uh, Game of Thrones. Um, you know, we look at death and say not today. That's kind of the the theming uh, that I get from this. And then uh, death and all of his friends. It it bleeds into kind of this outro kind of thing. It's called the Escapist, which is uh just the life and Technicolor theme that we got at the beginning of the album. So it's very much kind of this this bookend. Um, and uh, here kind of in this uh this uh, Escapist bit, um, it almost to me feels like basically you've lived, you've listened to this album, you have lived this life, and now the escapist is you basically uh, laying you know, on your deathbed, you know, as listeners laying on your deathbed or as the band here, Coldplay, um, is laying on their deathbed and is as in the end, we lie awake and we dream of making our escape. Um, and I think that it is, it's beautiful and it's very pointed. It's very, it, it's almost tragic, but it's, it's almost because of the way that life in Technicolor was composed. It almost feels a little bit hopeful, um, at the same time. Yeah. And it's, it's gorgeous. I love the way that it ends. Yeah, this is definitely like a culmination song of a journey that I feel that Coldplay took us on um, and all the varied emotions around regret and love and fear and war. And, you know, uh, again, just just, you know, I think about it, you know, if you were to think of the life of an album and we're at the end of the album, uh, we're at the end of listening to the album as ourselves. Um, you know, the bittersweetness of this song that that kind of comes in because it's it it does have this like open, very open feeling of of hope and um letting go, which is kind of like at the end, it's like the death of the album because this is the last track, right? Mm -hmm. So it was it when when it when it was birthed, it was like this opening, like big, uh, like you said, we're sitting in the theater and the curtains open and the 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 beginning of the show, right? The beginning of it. And this is the end of it. And it's still as epic and resounding and big, but in a in a different tone, because this is this is your last kind of breath and mm. the breadth of, with which of the emotions that you felt this whole album just culminates really beautifully. Um, I, I was so glad that I that that they made the decision to put the songs in the orders that they did with this being kind of the cap at the end, because it it suits so well as really beautiful bookend um mm -hmm. from the first song right yeah absolutely um you kind of you kind of keep waiting there um through this escapist section for it to you know kind of explode into that exuberance that the first one does um and you know a credit to the the sound engineers here um on this album because if you're listening to this say on your phone or um you know on 
iTunes or whatever like that. So if you have it on to repeat, like you get through this and it just immediately starts back into the first song. Like it's almost never ending. Um, if you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that it ended and started back up into the first track again. And I think that the stuff like that is really neat in terms of um, a musical design. Uh, kind of thing in composition. So that is Viva La Vida and Death and All His Friends from 2008 by Coldplay. Um, it is, like I said, it's one of my favorite albums of of all time. I listened to it a ton um, and just really kind of leaned into um, it's it's not so much of of like a story um, telling mechanism. Um, like it's not telling a, a cohesive story like like some some albums are that are more of this kind of orchestral and composition. It, it's really kind of a kind of a look like internally, I think of what it means to, you know, change course, um, in your own life and, you know, change, change course, you know, when you've, you know, kind of, uh, you know, quote unquote, like made it big or, you know, things like that. And I think that it's, that it's really interesting and it's a really kind of beautiful pivot. Um, you know, as much as we love the Coldplay, you know, singles from those first couple of albums, um, something like this is almost transformative now, uh, going from here for Coldplay, that's that's a different story for another day. Um, I don't I don't want to get into to how I feel about uh, that stuff. Um, well, the most recent one I, I like quite a bit, but um, yeah, this this was it. This was a, a pinnacle for me, and um, it's it's a band that I that I like a lot and have a deep interest in and in seeing and seeing what that feels like. Uh, seeing them live and perform and perform these songs um, big and opulently, um, but yeah, this one. This one's really good. So, Michaela, um, I'll throw it back to you. You uh, obviously you'd heard "Viva La Vida." You'd probably heard, you know, a couple of these other tracks. You know, along the way, there were a bunch of singles off of this album that that hit the uh, the radio waves. But you'd never listened like to this as an album in album form. Like, sat down and listened to tracks, you know, one through ten or twelve and a half or whatever the case is. <laughs> cases right. here. Um, did you have any different takeaways, or did you mostly just be like, "Oh yeah, there's that "Viva La Vida" song." Um, I remembered, or I don't know what Brian's talking about, or what were no, your no. Kind of, what were your kind of thoughts on your first first listening? Um, I have, I definitely have a newfound, uh, well, maybe not newfound, a solidified appreciation for Coldplay as a band. Um, and again, the sound engineering, um, I thought of it in a very different way because of kind of the layers of some of the some of the sound work that had to be done. Um, was pretty pretty magnificent I really liked the chance that they took because it, at the end of the day right they they knew what was doing well for them um they knew what was getting a lot of airplay for sure and so um and the the span in which they they took to create this they 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 did this in a few months time and then they had to take a break um when they were making this album to go out and tour for, uh, in, in Latin America. And so mm -hmm. there's some like cool Latin America influences, uh, for some of the songs, but the way in which, um, the album was built, I thought was really lovely. Um, it definitely made me think of them differently than before. And I think that that's really important. If you're going to be someone who, likes to say that you love music, um, being able to put yourself in a situation and really have a listen to an entire album rather than some of the hot licks that the radio kind of pushes out. Um, that That's where you're going to get a lot of the seeds of uh, goodness, I think, that are lost on a lot of other people. It's kind of, you know, one of the reasons why we like other art forms that we've been talking about on this show, right? Um, mm -hmm. Is you know, really having something and being brave enough to have your paradigm shifted. Um, and so I think that that was something that that was really good for me. And I love uh, having all my thoughts uh, and beliefs that I hold dear really challenged uh, in a different way. And that's what this, this really did for me. And uh, as a romantic, I, I thought some of these songs were just really beautifully um, sad in mm -hmm. the, the kind of sitting in this area of regret um, which juxtaposes the sound that's coming out of the songs because the sounds can actually be quite hopeful, but the lyrics indicate that you're actually really not. And um, having that that whole new take on what it means to be quote unquote casually sensitive was really was really cool. I, I regret that I hadn't listened to the whole album earlier in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm glad that I finally got you uh, roped into sitting down and yeah. listening uh, through this one for sure. Um, and I, I 
think that it's great. So let us out there know uh, what you think about Coldplay's uh, 2008 album, Viva La Vida or Death and All His Friends. Uh, you can do that. Make sure you take pictures of your uh, Strawberry Smash cocktail. Send those in. Let us know what your favorite Coldplay song is. Uh, let us know if you've ever seen Coldplay in concert. I want to see pictures of that because that's probably a wild time. Uh, do that. Do it on our social medias. It is at Drink the Movies on Instagram and uh, threads it is facebook.com slash drink the movies you can go to our website www.drinkthemovies.com uh, where there's going to be a sweet picture of our cocktail um, you know episode recaps for all of our other episodes um, stuff like that make sure you go there and check that out drinkthemovies.com um, you want to make sure uh, that you're going over to our Patreon. If you want to know what album is coming next, we're going to have that poll um, is going to be up and voting is going to be ongoing by the time you're hearing this. That is patreon.com slash drink the movies. Uh, we got bonus content in there, cocktail chats, hangouts, um, all sorts of stuff. So make sure you go and check that out. And, you know, to make sure that you're getting the best of the this music <laughs> entertainment that we're bringing you on um, our two drops a week. Uh, Michaela, where can they do that? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Good Pods, Anywhere where Spotify podcasts are distributed, um, we are different, but we're not. We're, we've not left. We're still in the building. So if you're hearing us now, there's a subscribe button somewhere on your phone, on your little rectangle. Press it. Uh, we do two drops a week. We still do two drops a week. We still have a Patreon site, um, and we can't do this uh, without you all to listen to us. So if you're liking what you're hearing, let us know. If you're not, uh, that's okay too. Let us know what you want to hear instead. If there's other music out there, if there's a cocktail that you love that we still haven't covered in the over three years that we've been doing this, I'd love to know all about it. Uh, and you can find us and leave us reviews in that way. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So that is uh, volume two uh, in the books, Michaela. We have uh, two albums up, two albums down. I'm very proud of us. I think that, you know, kind of like Coldplay, you know, we we looked at we took the, you know, what we've been doing, uh, you know, drink the movies. And we said, uh, uh, it's time to to see what else so to push ourselves, to challenge ourselves um, and to to think about our our own lives and legacy, I guess. Maybe not quite as deep as Coldplay there on that one, but we've definitely uh, changed uh, changed angles here uh, for the time being and having a great time doing it. So thank you everyone for listening along. Uh, let us know all those things. Do all those things we just asked you to do. Um, and we'll talk to you next time on Drink, Drink the, the Music. music.